Ever wish you had a reset button? What would a reset look like in your life? We've all experienced disruptive changes, profound loss, abnormalities, been on the brink of burnout. We want to offer you hope, encouragement, guidance. God promises life and life everlasting. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad you're here today. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series that we're going to do for the next several weeks, and the name of the series is Reset. So I hope you uh, were able to get a reset guide as you came in. If you didn't get one, and you raise your hand, Seth and a couple of folks will shoot one out to you. We need a couple up over here, guys. So just keep your hand up, and we'll get it to you. Uh, each week, there's a different section, a different topic uh, that we're going to go through. Actually, there's several hands up, so we've got a good army coming up, so... Raise your hands high. It's all good. Uh, each week there's going to be like a different topic of an area of our life where we can hit the reset button. But there's also going to be like a uh, Eric Radecki had gone through and had written out some spiritual disciplines and things that we can do each week to reinforce what we're learning. So you'll enjoy that. There's a note page there. So we hope you appreciate that effort there. Uh, from the, did everybody get one? All right, we're good, I think. You know, from the earliest age, I was a computer junkie. Everybody's got their thing. My thing was computers. So as I was coming of age, personal computers were coming of age. So computers started popping up first in the libraries at the school. There'd be like two computers. You have to wait in line. You might get to use it once a week or whatever. But then pretty soon they were popping up in the box stores. And then pretty soon in people's living rooms. Our family, uh, this might be a testimony to my parents' wisdom, but our family was one of the last families in our neighborhood to own a VCR, but one of the first to have a personal computer because they thought you can use a computer to learn, and, you know, so that was kind of a cool thing. I never had a TV in my room growing up, but I had a personal computer, which was kind of cool. So uh, I was mesmerized how you can program a computer with a set of instructions so long as the code was right, the computer would just obey all those commands. And it was really just a matter of creativity and, and whatnot of what you could come up with and that you could get that computer to do. And it was just kind of a, it opened up a universe of possibilities for me. So I was always mesmerized with them. But if your code ever failed, and sometimes, you know, if you're typing in actual code, which I would do early on, you had to do that. Uh, later on, you'd have these disks, and you'd have cartridges or whatever, and you didn't have to do all this. But at the beginning, you would write code and do different things to get the computer to do what you wanted. But if you messed up just a little bit, sometimes that computer would lock up and jam, or something would get stuck in a loop and whatever else. But if your code ever failed, guess what? No worries. You could always do what? Control, alternate, delete, Right? You could always hit control, alternate, delete. You could always do a simple keystroke to reset everything that was going on. So once I was, uh, later on, I was in typing class. And I remember, uh, you know, we'd type out these long articles and that was just part of the thing. But we used a program called WordPerfect. And, uh, and a, a student in the class on the other side of the room, I remember she was having trouble getting WordPerfect to work. And she typed up this whole assignment like all of us had but she couldn't get things to format properly. And every time she had an issue, she would verbalize her frustration, and she was so impatient, and she would shout questions across 
the uh, room to the teacher and everyone else, like, how do I get things to go bold again? And just kind of real short. And, and, and how do I control the line spacing again? And how do I switch over into code view where I can see my hard spaces? And I'm like, just constantly doing it. And I was getting kind of annoyed. So I leaned over to a friend and I joked, you know, control alternate delete makes all your problems go away every time. <laughs> and sure enough, this girl hears me and unknowingly resets her computer. And the next thing... She's shouting at the teacher, hey, why did my screen go blank just now? And why is my computer rebooting? And where did all my work go? And what does control alternate delete really do? And so I was like slinking out of my head. That's why I had no friends in high school, okay? <laughs> but it sure was funny later on. But anyway, every electronic device has a reset button these days. You don't have to do all the combinations anymore. But just about every device has a reset button. It has a reset, but it also can have a hard reset. You can do both. So that no matter how bad things get, you know, like how many viruses you may have or cookies or whatever, you know, infecting your machine or how many junky apps you installed, not thinking anything about it, but they're probably spy apps or whatever, or whatever's going on, you can always reset back to the default programs and settings. Because you know that the problem wasn't the computer. The problem is you. And, and you did something. And if you can't sort out what you did and can't get it back on, you just hit reset. And sometimes that's how it is for us. We can't figure out everything, when it went wrong, how it went wrong. You know, we, we like to have a reset button maybe on our lives a little bit. Wouldn't it be nice if our lives worked that way? By the way, you know, whenever people, when I was younger, I, I would fix computers. I don't do it anymore, so don't call me. Uh, call somebody else. <laughs> But uh, Laura now fixes our computers at our house. I don't know how to do anything. I've chosen to be willfully ignorant about fixing anything that's related to computers. But, uh, but I used to tell people that it was an ID10T error that is your problem. Like They're like, it's doing this and this. It sounds like an ID10T error. And they're like, oh, okay. I was like, write that down. And they would write down ID10T and it would say idiot. And they're like, oh. Uh, you know, but it's probably an ID10T error that we need to deal with in our lives, all right? But... Uh, what if you could hit reset on different things? Like, what if you could hit reset on your relationship with God? You know you can. We're going to talk about it. But what if you could hit reset on your relationship with God? What if you could hit reset on your relationship with yourself? Think about, like, what your inner life has become. The desires of your heart that have been kind of cultivated and and have grown through the years, and, and the way you think and feel about everything. Think of all of the stuff that's going on in your inner you know, life. What, what if you could reset your character, your outer life, your inner life, your relationship to yourself? What if you could reset things in your family? Like, how's your marriage? You know, how's your family and your children? And, and, and maybe, you know, you would do things differently and approach things differently if you could go back and kind of like redo things. And like, how do you hit reset with your kids, with your family, maybe your family growing up? Uh, let's not forget about relationships. How many relationships do you have in the world you wish you could just like get a do-over and reset? Or think about our relationship to the world as Christians. What if we could hit the reset button on our Christian witness? And what if we could really be known for the things God wants us to be known for as, a, as his people, as a church, as opposed to the things we're often known for, Right? So that's what this series is about, is how do we reset our relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, with the world? How do we get this fresh start? Now, 
I want to begin this series in a very important place. I always believe that you got to get the foundation right before you start building a bunch of other stuff. you got to get the foundation right. And uh, the, the closest thing to a reset button we, that we have in life is what the Bible calls faith and repentance. Uh, faith and repentance. So faith is all about what is that thing that you put your most foundational trust in, all right, that you stake everything upon. And repentance is this idea of what do you return to when everything's going bad? What's those foundational things or that foundational person that you turn back to? So faith and repentance is, is very core to what I want to talk about this morning. In Acts chapter 3, I love this verse, and uh, this is going to be simple stuff this morning, but very important, very foundational. Repent and turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that sound like exactly what we need right now? Some refreshing for things to be wiped out of memory, God's memory, our memory, like for that fresh start to happen. The Christian life is all about sanctification, being made new. Uh, and, and so here's this invitation. Now, every time in my life that I've drifted from God, and there's been many times, I found that my sins began accumulating right away. Things that shouldn't be installed in my life were getting installed in my life. We're becoming part of things and, and gumming things up. And as I turned away from God, the malfunctions began to accumulate. The pain, the frustrations began multiplying. And maybe that's how you feel today. It's like, man, it's, it's past the point of, hey, I can fix this. I need a reset. I need something more than just, hey, I'm going to change a few lines of code or tweak this or tweak that. Like, I need a lot more than that. How bad do things need to get in your life before you turn back to God? You know, for some people, not even death itself will cause them to turn back to God. For some people, there's no consequence severe enough that would quicken their conscience or quicken their heart to turn back to God. But what about you? The moment we put our trust back in God, the moment that we repent and turn back to Him, these seasons, not just times, but seasons of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. This is the starting point for us in this series. So again, the idea of faith and repentance is relatively simple. Just for re-emphasis, faith is what you're putting your ultimate trust in. Repentance is who you're turning back to. And so uh, turn back to who? Turn back to what? Put our faith in who? Put our faith in what? Uh, maybe it's not adequate just to talk about faith and repentance in a vacuum. Maybe it's not adequate to tell people, hey, turn away from your sin. You know, what if your code, what if your operating system, what if your very thinking about God has become corrupted? If you tell someone to turn back to God and they're thinking about God is wrong, then there's not going to be anything transformative about turning back to false knowledge about God. If... Uh, if we don't deal with the reality of like, what does it mean to say God? Who is God? 
What's it mean to love ourselves? What's it mean to love others? What's it mean to love our... What if the way we think about these things is the problem? Uh, when you hit control, alternate, delete, you know, it's maybe not deep enough, right? Uh, when you hit control, alternate, delete, it might clear your memory and you go right back to where you were. But what if where you were wasn't the right place? Sometimes you don't just need a reset. Sometimes you need a rebuild. You need a whole new underlying code and, 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 and operating system for your life. And, and that's really what Christianity is at its core. It's a whole new worldview, a whole new way of thinking about God and yourself. And, and, and maybe it's your operating system, and not just a few tweaks here, that's become rogue and filled with apps and viruses. And a superficial reset isn't enough. You need something a lot more substantial. Either way, the starting point is the same. It's faith that we come back to trust God, and it's repentance we turn back to God. But here's the, the big idea for this morning. The Word of God is what restores true knowledge of God. The Word of God is also what restores true knowledge of self. I want to talk about each of these ideas for a moment. That what is faith if you don't have the right idea of God? What is repentance if you don't have the right idea of God? Uh, and so we have to get back to the right words that govern our life, which is the Word of God. So think critically about this for a moment. Everyone believes that they knew who God is and isn't. Everybody has an opinion. And it's often one opinion against another opinion and another. I, I've listened even to Christians sit in a circle and talk about God, and I've often thought, I don't know which God, like, that's not the God of Scripture that this person is talking about. And that's kind of like God-ish, but not really quite on the mark. And, like, who is the God that we believe in? And that we've put confidence in. Is it really the God of Scripture? Often it's not. Uh, sometimes it's a God of our own creation. Or a God of our own imagination. Or a God of speculation. Or of worldliness. You know, people have said this and they've said that. And we've grabbed these different ideas. and Right? The Christian perspective is that the Bible, the written word of God, is God's self-revelation. That... We wouldn't know God at all, but God has revealed himself first and foremost by his written word. In the Bible, when you start in Genesis and you work your way through to the end, in the Bible, God declares, this is who I am. He, he differentiates who he is from who other people think he is. He says, I am who I am. I'm not who, who you think I am or who you think or say or, or what other people might. Like, I am who I am. And so, like, this is my name, and this is my character, and this is my purpose and plan for your life, my will. This is what pleases me. This is what displeases me. We get to know so much about God through his self-revelation in the scriptures. And so, necessarily, what are we putting our trust in? We're putting our trust in the God of scripture. Who's the God that we turn back to? The God of scripture. So what's really cool is how the deepest and truest knowledge of God isn't just revealed in written words. It's also revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. You can think of the scripture as the written word, but you can think of Christ as the living word. So through the written word, all scripture, you know, God's testifying to who he is. 
He's testifying to the coming son. He's revealing his purpose and plan in history. But then God sends his son as the living word, the living embodiment of all who he is and all that he's been speaking. And, and when Jesus comes, the father says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And it's Jesus. He's the living embodiment of the word. So the father speaks the word, and the word points to the living word, Christ. And when we look to the word, whether it's the word of scripture, uh, whether it's the living word, Jesus Christ, right? That's the basis of hitting reset. That's the basis of what we're going to, those are the new words that we're going to live by. I want to show you a couple of verses. Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation, expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Father, the Son, the written word of God, it's all a unity. It's all like, and, and it's a perfect expression, like an, a full expression for us to know God. Another verse is Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, we wouldn't see God, but he's given us an icon. He's given us an image, and it's his son, Jesus. And so we can look to Jesus, as recorded in Scripture, we can look to Jesus and know everything we need to know about the Father. We spent quite a bit of time in the Gospel of John, and I don't want the Gospel of John to be lost on us at all. So just a, as a refresher, the first chapter of John, it does a lot of heavy lifting. In the beginning was the Word... Notice it's a capital W. We've had this written word, but now we've got the capital W word. We've got the living word, Jesus, who's come. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And all things were created through Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created. And in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And we read along, get down to verse 14. The word becomes flesh, and he dwells among us, and we observe God's glory, the glory as the one and only son who's come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's an icon. He's the image. He is the perfect expression of who the Father is. No one's ever seen God, verse 18, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He's revealed him to us. So I'm telling you all this because we need to calibrate our idea of God back to Scripture. Who are we trusting in? Who are we turning back to? The God of Scripture who revealed himself most fully and perfectly in Jesus. You can think of a hall of mirrors. You've got the Father and the Son, and you also have the Word of God. And they all reflect each other. You can throw the Spirit of God in there as well. That the Father's image is reflected in the Son, but the Word of God is... You wouldn't know the Father or Son without the written word. They, they all are together as a unity. You, you really can't know one without the other, right? You look at Jesus, and the Father has testified to Jesus, but the word tells us everything about Jesus' life, his words, his works, everything, right? And so it's like a hall of mirrors. They all reveal one another. And so to truly know the Father is to know the Son. And to truly know the Son is to know the Father. And to truly know the word is to have true knowledge of God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's just, like I said, in John eight nineteen, people 
went to Jesus and they said, hey, show us your father. Show us your father God that you've been talking about. And Jesus says, you know, you don't know me or my father. But if you know me, then you'd also know my father. It's an equivalency. I am the father. I am the reflection of him to you. I am his image. And if you know me, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So the written word of God, the Bible, the living word of God, Jesus, resets true knowledge of God. So turning back to God, you can't turn back to a God constructed of pure imagination. That's going to do nothing. But you turn back to the God of Scripture, the one who has fully revealed himself through his Son and by his word. When you return to that God, it's transformative. Make sure you're putting your trust in the true God, the living God. Make sure you're turning back to the true God, the living God. I love the verse in Colossians 3.10 that says, you're being renewed, which I put in parentheses some stuff here. Like, you get renewed, how? In knowledge. Well, what kind of knowledge? True knowledge. True knowledge that's according to the image of your creator, Jesus. You, you've got to calibrate your trust and turn back to the God of Scripture. And if you return back to that God, he will refresh and reset and recreate and sanctify and renew and ultimately resurrect new life for you. Now, the Word of God gives us true knowledge of God. The other thing I mentioned earlier is that the Word of God gives us true knowledge of ourselves as well. And we need both kinds of knowledge. We need to be exegeted. You know, we need to understand ourselves and our own wiring and, and who we are and why we do what we do. And Like, that's as important as knowing God. So, just like people, they assume they know who God is. People assume they know their true selves. So, I'll, I'll refer to our secular information system. You know, all the, all the voices out there. You know, whether it's in a university, whether it's in media, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's, it's uh, you know, the news, whatever. Like the internet, the World Wide Web. There's a, a pretty vast information service out there, right? And it's secular, which means that the secular information system effectively suppresses all knowledge of God and all true knowledge of ourselves, that the secular information system, they got their own idea of God, they got their own idea of who we are, what we are, of how we should live, of how we're wired, all these different things. There's competing worldviews and people views out there for us all the time. Now, in our secular information system, God is a zero. God matters nothing. Uh, he exists or doesn't exist, doesn't matter. He's cast away. But not only is God zero, but man is also a zero. Uh, some of the greatest questions ever asked in history were asked by the Greek philosophers. And so philosophy is a, a very important place for us to spend time in. And because all the great questions were asked before Christ ever came to earth. I think God planned it that way, that we'd be asking the biggest questions and demanding the biggest answers, and then the mystery whose Christ came and made God more full, most fully known. But the Greek philosophers asked all these profound questions. But before the Greek philosophers, you had the psalmists. And the psalmists, you read Psalms, there's 150 of them in your Bible, they were asking great questions as well, not unlike the Greek philosophers. 
Psalm 8-4, King David, he asks this question, who is a human being? What is a human being? Philosophers have always asked that question. We ask that same question today, what are we? Who are we? And, and who are we especially in relationship to this vast cosmic universe in which we find ourselves? You know, we've got the Hubble telescope, but then we've got the new one. I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's better, right? And it's going out farther than ever before, and it's blasting back images like unlike anything we've ever seen before. And we're realizing that we're even smaller and more seemingly insignificant in the world. The universe is even more vast than ever than we ever imagined or whatever. Who is or what is a human being? Well, the secularist says that, uh, well, there is no God. And you're nothing more than accidental, cosmic, uh, an accidental cosmic mist. That's all you are. You're just a mist, a vapor that appears for a while and you're gone. Like, you're insignificant. From stardust you came and from stardust you'll return. You're just matter and you matter not. That's the core message, isn't it? You're just matter and you matter not. You know, we wonder why there's so much depression and discouragement, hopelessness, despair, nihilism, narcissism. It's because we're told that we're just matter and we matter not. We're a zero. Man is a zero. God's a zero. But what if we're more than mere matter? I remember as a young person growing up and in biology class, everywhere, you know, you're, that message was starting to get drilled in. We were getting indoctrinated that there's no God and that you're just an accident of sorts that, that happened, right? And you're, you're an improbable you or whatever it is. But I remember there was a point when I was starting to think about myself being mere matter, but I came across a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And that opened my eyes that maybe I was more than mere matter, that maybe my life mattered, that maybe I was significant, and that I mattered more than matter, and that maybe I was created in the image of an invisible God, and that maybe that God knows who I am, and maybe I could look and listen to that God, and, and maybe I'm who God says I am and not who my music or teachers or Hollywood or whoever else it is is saying that I am. You know, maybe God wants me to become something different than what these other voices want me to become. What plans, what kind of dreams might God have for me? The Greek philosophers, they asked all these questions, but they turned to their imagination and speculations in order to answer those questions. They didn't do half bad, but they didn't get all the way to a right answer either. They got kind of like halfway to some good answers. But Jesus, you know, he shows up. He, he is life. He showed us what our life was intended to be and what our life can become. Uh, in him was life, and that life was like a light that went off. And when you see Jesus, suddenly you understand yourself, and you understand who God created you to be and the relationship he has in store for us and in mind for us to be his sons and daughters as Jesus was his son. You don't have to turn to our imagination. We just have to turn right to God's word because the word answers these questions for us. And in the word, we get true knowledge about God, we get true knowledge about ourselves, and we realize God's definitely not a zero and neither is man, right? Psalm 8, let's just look at it for a moment. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which are set in place, what is a human being? 
that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? That's the big question. You made him little less than God, and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth, right? That's a little bit different answer to our identity than what the secular information systems are indoctrinating into this world, right? Uh, it's a bigger answer. It's a better answer. Now, there's all these verses that are very foundational. Uh, they get at this idea of knowing our true selves through the word. One of them is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I've, many of you are familiar with it. The word of God, you know, the scriptures are living and effective and sharper than any scalpel, any double-edged sword, any double-edged instrument for cutting, right? So these aren't dead words. These are living and active and effective and profound words. And they cut in, as you read the word, they penetrate as far as separating soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so when you're reading the word, no creature is hidden from God, but everything becomes naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When you read the word, and, and I would have this experience reading the word even as a youngster. You'd read the word and God would call out, the word would call out a pattern in your character. The word would call out an intention in your heart, something that wasn't right or dark. If there was some area of struggle, uh, your conscience, you know, the word of God... Like, there was no hiding, right? The Word of God would just like, there it is. But more than that, the Word of God says, here's how we deal with that. And here's what we do about that. We, trust, we turn back to God, we trust God, and we invite Him through His presence and power to heal that thing that needs to be reset, right? But your experience in the Word is that, man, it cuts through like no other words that you'll ever find anywhere. It cuts through. And shows you true knowledge about yourself. And sometimes it feels like it's more than we can handle. But nonetheless, we need that knowledge, right? Another passage that I often think of when I think of Scripture is I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. But we don't always read the context. So if you read the context, it starts off by saying that evil people and imposters will become worse. Okay? So there are all these authorities and influencers out there, social media influencers, Hollywood influencers, political influencers, worldwide influencers. There are all these people out there that are demanding influence over our lives. They make God a zero, they make man a zero, but they make themselves everything. They want to be everything. They want to be like gods to us, dictating our worldview, dictating our lives in all these ways. But there's evil people that are vying for this influence. And it's hard for us to imagine. It's a big debate in culture, but sometimes the most innocuous things can be tools of evil people. That's what the whole Disney debate's about, without getting into all that. But I'm just saying, like, the music we listen to, the, the most seemingly innocent things, like, there's an influence behind it that may be godly or may be godless. 
But evil people and postures, the thing that you'll notice is they become worse. They're deceived. They're being deceived, but then they're deceiving others. And that's really secularism, right, in, in a nutshell. Uh, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know the people who taught you, and you know that from infancy that you've known the sacred scriptures. Now, let me just say this. When you look at the people that want the most influence over your life, do you want to become like those people? You know, the, the person that's singing those lyrics, do you even know who they are? Have you ever even, like, considered their life and where their ways have led or the destruction that's occurred through that person's influence in their own circle? Like, we're often allowing ourselves to be saturated by the words of people who are destroying themselves and destroying others and have a very open, like, it's very obvious, right? You look at the, and you're like, I don't want to become like that person. Like, I like the beat, though. But I don't want to become like this person that's creating this script for me, this teacher, whatever, right? But Paul's, or he's, he's saying, hey, you know the people that taught you the scriptures? Your mom, maybe your dad, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a preacher or a pastor or a leader. When you look at their life and you contrast it with the lives of these other you know who taught you over here. And you know the words that, that created that, that godly person, right? And you know this words that's creating these godly. Who do you want to tune into, right? Who do you want to tune into? So Paul's saying, hey, from infancy you've been taught the scriptures. And then he goes on a diet. He goes off real quick. He goes, hey, these scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through trusting Jesus Christ. In all scripture, it's inspired by God. It's profitable. If somebody needs teaching, if somebody needs rebuking, if somebody needs correcting, if you do, if, if you want to, like, train someone in righteousness to become a better person, the scriptures are inspired and adequate for that task so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's no greater words to knowing self than the word of God. I really doubt you're sitting here because you found the words of evil people to be so refreshing and so restorative. You're sitting here because you found the words of evil, you found the thinking of the world about God, about human nature to be utterly bankrupt. That's why you're here. And you're hoping that maybe you'll hear some fresh words that will be restorative in your life. And, and maybe you've known the Holy Scriptures from infancy and maybe all you need this morning is to be pointed right back to where you can, like, you just need a, a gentle control alternate delete, reset, right back to what you've been taught your whole life. Like, get back to the basics, right? Maybe that's all you need is a nudge. But maybe you've not known the Holy Scriptures from infancy. And maybe a mother or a grandmother or a father or shepherd or pastor or teacher, uh, maybe no one's ever held out the words of Christ to you. You might need more than just a reset. You might need like an overhaul. You might need a completely rebuilt like operating system, right? You may need to start with the most fundamental things in the way you think about God and the way you think of others. Either way, the Word of God is what we have to get back to. The Word of God is the foundational place where this reset happens. God has to calibrate our thinking and 
our minds and our hearts. And it all happens miraculously through the inspired word of God. I want to mention some words of Jesus, John 15, 5 through 8. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I remain in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. And, And they gather them up and they throw them into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this thing, that you produce much fruit and prove and show yourself to be my disciples. I would suspect that there are some that might feel like they're dying. Maybe not literally, but just spiritually, dying. Maybe you feel like your life's been like slowly withering away and you don't have the vitality and you don't have the joy and the peace and hope and like you feel there's a disconnect like something's funky going on in the right time for some new words your instructions that you've been living your life by the words you've been living your life by are at the core of your crisis you need new words and Jesus says if you'd abide in my words right you'd be fruitful, you'd flourish, you'd produce much fruit for my glory. Like you would live an amazingly different life in stark contrast to those who live by evil words or lesser words. What words are you living your life by? Are you trying to reset your life by? The word of God gives us true knowledge of God himself. And through the word, these seasons of refreshing and seasons of flourishing come. In your study guide, there's a thing about doing a spiritual discipline. One of the verses that my parents made me memorize when I was young was Psalm 119, 105. It says, the word of God is like a lamp to your path. The word of God is like a lamp to your feet. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The word, the written word, the living word, is a lamp to guide us back to where we need to be. We would do well to put our trust in that light while we can and while we have opportunity. So this is a value that we're going to build upon as we go through this series. Next week we're going to talk about resetting our worship and how God through his grace wipes away our sins and he truly gives us mercy and we can reset our relationship with God through Christ like he has done it and we're going to talk about that next week. So be sure to join us as we continue. Let's pray. Dear Father, We pray that you would reset our faith, that we would trust deeply in you through your word, that we would trust all that you've said in Christ, that we'd abide in you and that we'd flourish. We pray that we can lock into this idea and that it can be transformative for us and that we would be renewed in this knowledge. We pray in Jesus' name.